verses 21 and 22. the pivotal point of Ezekiel's prophesying. You know, he's been saying over and over again that uh, uh, the Jerusalem is falling. It's not quite the sky is falling, but the sky is falling on Jerusalem. And he's been warning and warning and warning. And now it's happened. And so clearly he's not been crying wolf. I mean, this is this this shows the, the truth of the prophecies, the warnings that God has been giving to him. And really the whole tenor of his uh, preaching, prophesying, shifts. Uh, because now he's not so much pulling down, but building up. Uh, he does do some warning still. There's some things to warn about. But he does a lot uh, more of talking about the, the future hope of these people who've been punished and and chastened and brought to uh, grieve their sins and to repent and turn back to the Lord. That's really the uh, the the situation that we're seeing here. So this is kind of like the continental divide in uh, Ezekiel's uh, ministry. And uh, now he's no longer mute. I, you may have forgotten back in chapter 3, he couldn't talk. Now I think he couldn't talk except to issue the message of God. Obviously, he was talking in those situations, but I gather they didn't do small talk with people from chapter 3, now over here to chapter 33. Once Jerusalem has fallen, his mouth is loosed, and now he can interact socially in a normal way. But uh, until this point, he was only to be known as the spokesman for the Lord and not able to speak except to speak the word of the Lord to the people. All right, thoughts and comments through verse 22. Right. Yes, it was when the uh, person came and gave them the report. So obviously, it took him some months to get there. Right. Yes, I think so. You know, isn't it weird? We're just used to knowing everything almost. I, I, you know, get out on your phone. You know, three minutes after a famous person dies, now everybody in the world knows. You know, we just, they didn't have uh, phones back then and all that. So it took a while to get news to travel. So yeah, I think that's the reason. Okay. Uh, so then 23 to 29. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given us to possess. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat flesh with the blood, and lift up your eyes to your idols, and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them, Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword, and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste, and her proud might shall come to an end. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. 
Okay, you might compare this with chapter 11. This is a similar uh, passage in a different time period after Jerusalem has fallen. Uh, you've got the people who were left. There were some of the poorest people that Nebuchadnezzar left in the land as caretakers to uh, take care of the, the, the cultivation and so forth. These people were saying that they really had the right to just take over the land as if it were their own. And they used the argument that Abraham was just one person and he possessed the land. So if, if Abraham, as a single individual, God gave him the land, they had more claim than Abraham because there were several of them. So they aren't feeling like that they've got, got survival uh, land rights uh, because they're still here. And Ezekiel saying, God says, not at all. You, this is not your land. Abraham received the land in part as a response to his faith and righteousness. Their wickedness disqualified them from having any kind of legitimate claim to the promised land. When you look at their character, you look at their behavior, it says you you uh, serve your idols as you shed blood, you rely on your sword, you commit abominations, uh, you defile your neighbor's wife, and so forth and so on. God's going to punish you. Um, the future for the people of God was not with this small number that were left in the land. The future was with the exiles in Babylon. We, we see that in Jeremiah also, in Ezekiel, uh, much emphasis on that. So he first has this message to those who still were in the land. No, it's not their land, and they can't just take it over as if it were. Thoughts and comments? John. Uh, I kind of find that it's really funny in a sense because it's kind of like uh, kids who fail the test and who fail the test they are asking to work curve on it, but they didn't really truly put the work in to study for it. And so they failed because of their just lack of studying. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Yeah, they're the people who've been defeated. Why do they think they have the right to anything, especially because they've been defeated because of their wickedness? Yes. Good, good thought. Peterson. Uh, how did the Israelites get trapped in the idea that we serve God because he's going to bless us? Rather, we serve God no matter what he, no matter what happens to us, you know, whether, whether we live or not, you know, that mistaken mentality, you know, uh, it's going to be for our good. Uh, I know it was, uh, this land was promised to them, but how did they not get trapped in the of mentality? Well, I mean, I don't know about all that, but they, uh, they're just thinking about themselves. They're really not focused on the Lord. They just want the land. <laughs> Sid? Yeah, Ezekiel had kind of dealt, or God had dealt with this question back in chapter 11. When Ezekiel says, you're going to fight everybody. When he sees the judgment on Jerusalem, he says, you're going to destroy everybody. And he says, no, that's not where the remnant is. The remnant is with you in captivity. These people who think that because you've been taken away, you're forsaken by the Lord, actually you're protected by the Lord. Yeah, that is the issue, and they had a hard time seeing that, but that the exiles was the future, not those who were left in the land. Some of them had thought that earlier in chapter 11, after some had been taken into captivity, and now the handful that are left think that after the bulk of them have been taken into captivity. And the truth is, God's going to bring the exiles back. They are the ones that will inherit the land. 
Alright, look at uh, 30 to 33. But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them, for they do not, for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by the one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that the prophet has been in their midst. This is an interesting passage. You know, Jerusalem has fallen, they know that now, and their opinion about Ezekiel has changed in some ways. Now they're telling each other, come and let's hear what the message is that comes forth from the Lord. And so Ezekiel was suddenly really popular. He's kind of the talk of the town, the wonder prophet. And everybody wants to come and hear his performance. And uh, he said, they come, they sit before you, and they hear your words, but they don't do them. They just want to listen. They wanted to hear him. Uh, they, they do the lustful desires and uh, that they want. They, they seek their own gain. And you're just like some sensual song. Like, you know, you're like a, a hit singer. You know, they love, the, they love the, the song. They love the instrumentation. He's kind of like a celebrity. Let's get him to hold a meeting. You know, he's kind of a uh, religious rock star or whatever. But they're not, they're, they're just humming the tune. They're not listening to the lyrics. They're not, he's, he's a, he, they, they, they like the, the enthusiasm. They like the, the being with everybody. You know, it's become popular to go hear Ezekiel. But, but they're not obeying what he says. You know, and people do that. I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, sometimes that you will preach or teach something that, that really, is is from the Lord, but it's a condemnation of somebody's lifestyle. And they'll come out and they'll say, oh, that's so so good. You know, a uh, number of years ago, when I was a, maybe my very early 20s or late teens, uh, I had a chance to uh, to preach in the church where my, in the town where my grandmother lived. And she liked the fact that her grandson was, you know, a preacher. She was not a Christian. And she had several lady friends that, you know, like to do things together. And so she had me come over on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, they were they were there, you know, half a dozen of them, whatever. They came to hear me preach. And I did my best to try to preach what I thought they needed to hear. And, and it, you know, every one of them come out, oh, you're such a great speaker. Oh, it's just so good to hear you and all that. You realize they hadn't even understood or cared about what was said. And people, we all do that sometimes. You can, we, can, we can love to hear brother so-and-so. Oh, he preaches such wonderful messages. Well, if he preaches the message of God, have we listened and obeyed it, or have we just kind of treated it as a performance? You know, that guy's got a great voice, and oh, you ought to see how he dresses, and wow, he just is, uh, his, his illustrations, and you know, we, we can get caught up in the mechanics of it, and we miss the whole point. That's what they were doing with this. You know, it's kind of a, you know, you probably wouldn't have expected that at this point. Maybe the fact that his prophecy came true has made him more popular. He's also preaching a more positive message. But the truth is, they're just not listening to what you're saying. Our goal is not to get people to like us or be impressed by us, but but we hope that they'll actually do what the Lord's teaching. Thoughts and comments on that section, Kyle. Obviously, it's Maybe a speaker that speaks the truth, but really don't like them or how they deliver it. 
And so we're reluctant to listen to adhere whatever we're putting more focus on the message. Amen. Yeah, that's exactly right. The message is what counts, not the guy who's delivering it. I grew up with a preacher like that. <laughs> Wonder who that could be. <laughs> Other thoughts. Yes, John. Good point. Do you sometimes almost feel like hearing something that was painful for you to listen to, you've kind of done your penance? You know, I, I, I think there are people who, and maybe all of us sometimes, like to get our toes stepped on. You know, we like to feel bad, because if we feel bad enough, then we've actually done the time, and now we don't have to change. I think there's sort of a sense of that sometimes. And, and the fact is, you know, listening is not the issue. Doing it, you know, making the changes. Elizabeth. I find it really interesting that, that God groups these two, these two groups of people together. He groups the uh, the peoples who are still in the land and are just in open riot against God. And he also groups the people in exile who are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And he says both of you are sinning. And I just think it's how, how he equates those two things as both being sinning against God. True. David. Right, that's right. Yes, yes. They they haven't really changed. Uh, you know, even though they may find Ezekiel popular, if they don't do what he says, it's no different than when he was an open rebellion. Reagan. Um, it's early in the book. Ezekiel was it's kind of annoying when they tell you you're wonderful and they don't do anything you're saying yeah we've all had that experience probably alright look at chapter 34 as Ezekiel has